This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So Evan, when was the first time you heard the name Dan Bongino? That's interesting. I guess it was probably about two years ago. Evan Osnos is a staff writer at The New Yorker. I first saw his name appear on the list of the most trafficked items on Facebook. Somebody at The New York Times had started putting together a list every day of the things that were most popular. And some of the names were familiar. You know, you might see somebody like Sean Hannity or Ben Shapiro. And then there was this guy named Dan Bongino. And very often he would have many of the most, of the 10 most popular items. And were you just like, who is this guy? Yeah, yeah, I really was. I was, for me at least, it was a totally brand new name. In case you aren't quite sure who Dan Bongino is, here's what you need to know. Over the last few years, Bongino's made himself into a central node in the right-wing information ecosystem. Bongino dominates on Facebook. His page often gets more engagement than those of the New York Times or the Washington Post. Bongino's got a podcast, of course. He spun that into a show on Fox News. And earlier this year, he took over Rush Limbaugh's time slot on many terrestrial radio stations. Millions and millions of people are listening every day. We dismantle leftist talking points on the regular every single day. I'm telling you almost nothing they're telling you is true. It's funny because I think of taking over Rush Limbaugh's slot as kind of a coronation of sorts. Did Bongino see it that way? Yeah. It was certainly felt that way in the conservative media world. Do you realize how dumb you have to be to be a liberal? When I read the way you describe Bongino's show, I think of it as like a distillation of Limbaugh or like boiling it down to its parts. Is that how you think of it? Could you describe it? Yeah, that's an interesting way to frame it. I, I think that's right. It, it's In some ways, it's this kind of next iteration of the model. There's an apocalyptic overtone to a lot of what he says. In the, and, and, you know, it's, it's not that obscure. I mean, he is selling survivalist food rations on his show. I mean, those are the kinds of advertisers and a lot of guns. It is pure and constant political talk of the most intense and angry and agitated kind. That is all that is left, and that is what people tune in for. It's designed to be unifying of the believers and separating with the non-believers. It is about drawing boundaries of a tribe, of a community. Today on the show, how Dan Bongino became the leader of this tribe and one of the most influential figures in conservative media, even though half of America is still learning his name. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around.
This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. For those who may have never heard of Dan Bongino, I want to go way back and just talk about where he came from. Can you give me a brief biographical sketch of this guy? Yeah, he started out as a police officer in New York City. He'd grown up in kind of Queens and Long Island and studied psychology in college. And then he got a master's degree in psychology too, but while also being a cop. And he was always kind of restless. You get the sense that he's always been trying to do something different. When I interviewed him, the the moment when he was in his in way most vivid was in the description of an experience that he had, a very unhappy experience that he had as a child when as by by his description, his mother's boyfriend uh, was abusive to him and his brother. And he told this very detailed description of the fear that he felt as a kid. And the fear, as he says, it wasn't just the fear that you have of a horror movie. It's like this fear that is deep in you and it changes you forever. That was how he described it. And he also described the relief yeah. of when he would encounter law enforcement after having a run-in with this boyfriend and how he wanted to be that person. That's exactly right. He, he sort of discovered that he could call the cops on the boyfriend and that that would, that would diffuse the crisis and would relieve him of his fear. And he talks about it in, in, in kind of ecstatic terms, that it was this moment of total relief. And it was like, and I think, and he said, I wanted to be that. I wanted to be the police officer who could show up and have that effect. And I think that was his kind of reverence for the police. And eventually he makes a life in authority of various kinds. He goes on, joins the Secret Service and came to Washington and worked on the presidential detail for the George W. Bush administration and then ultimately for the Obama administration. In 2011, you found this quote where he described Obama as a wonderful father, a wonderful man, Mm -hmm. which is so interesting to me because you know, now he's so extreme. Yeah. And I don't think he would describe Obama in those terms at all. No, he calls him the most corrupt president in American history now. There is this very distinct difference between the former Bongino and the the person of the role that he expresses now. When he was in the Secret Service, he never talked about politics. You know, somebody who worked with him was like, we had no idea what his politics were. I don't think they existed, really. He didn't have a strong political identity. And he's gone through this rapid transformation, or at least a thorough transformation over the course of a decade, to the point where he is now this kind of self-described combatant in the world of information warfare. And I think what changed, which is the key question, is that he found himself in a moment of opportunity a business opportunity, a, a personal opportunity, a chance to be a big deal in the conservative world, and he has grasped it. How did he get that opportunity? Well, uh, he, you know, he first left the Secret Service uh, in order to run for office, and that didn't work very well. He, he lost a race in Maryland for Congress, and then he ran again, and he, and he lost again. And then he ran again, and he lost again, this time in Florida. So he had these kind of three experiences of being, in effect, kind of rejected by electoral politics. But along the way, he found this other way in. 
he started this podcast in his basement. Welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. I've got a loaded show, including a major break yesterday. A warrant served apparently at the residence of a Russian. And maybe there's a connection to this Soros thing I've been telling you about for the last few days. Loaded show. Uh, again, let's get right to it. Today's show brought to you And all of a sudden, he was getting invited onto shows like InfoWars and onto Sean Hannity and Mark Levin shows. And he was building this audience. And he had this key thing. The thing that set him apart was because he had worked in the Secret Service, he could kind of present himself as almost like a sort of teller of truths, a kind of defector from within the halls of the White House. And that was, you know, that Alex Jones loved that because he could say, like, they're so afraid of this guy. Now, the truth was, no, no, they weren't afraid of Bongino. That was not. But it was a very valuable kind of role to play. And he developed that, eventually got a TV show on NRA TV, which is this uh, video streaming platform uh, supported by the National Rifle Association. All of this is building his identity and making it more and more kind of concentrated and intensified as this very aggressive conservative. As he finally said one day, he said, you know, my entire life is about owning the libs now. And Hmm. the Dan Bongino that had once described Obama as a great father and a great man, you know, that was like way in the rearview mirror. And this new Bongino was... Um, was was profiting spectacularly from this new identity. So Bongino kind of built this media presence, but then it seems to me like Trump supercharged it. And you actually wrote, no one in American media has profited more from the Trump era and its aftermath than Bongino. Can you explain that? If you think about it, five or six years ago, when Donald Trump kind of came into politics. Dan Bongino was in his basement running his podcast with moving blankets on the wall. You know, he'd he'd lost a couple of races. It wasn't clear what he was going to do. He had a little business that he ran out of his house at one point with his wife that sold socks for mixed martial arts, which is his hobby. And he figured out early on that, you know, Trump would respond very favorably to flattery. And so, you know, when, when Bongino, who did see himself as very much a kind of Trump guy, they're both from Queens, as, so he saw himself as a kind of natural Trumpist. And then when he would say things about Trump on Fox or on the radio, Trump would retweet it. And actually, people around the White House started to hear Trump talk about, hey, this guy Bongino is really um, saying all the right things. And that's the symbiotic relationship. Symbiotic or parasitic. It's hard to know. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, actually. I mean, he latched on and and found this thriving blood source in the Trump movement, and he could build off of it. And Trump endorsed his books. He would tweet about it. He'd say, hey, buy this book, or this sounds like a great book that Bongino is publishing. And, you know, Bongino's identity was that he was the most, he was the one who was willing to stand up for Trump in effect, when when others in the Republican world would would wobble, and and that became his identity, and and began to build out his audience uh, in larger and larger numbers. By 2021, Bongino's podcast had become the place for the far right to get its fix. When he took over for Rush Limbaugh, Trump himself came on his show to announce he was considering running for president again. But listening to Dan Bongino ascend to Limbaugh's throne. Evan Osnos has mostly been struck by how different Bongino is from his predecessor. While Limbaugh was shticky, broadcasting hokey songs and skits, Bongino's show puts entertainment on the back burner, hammering away at right-wing talking points. 
Evan says the show's repetitive nature is actually part of its appeal. There's this incredible, fascinating research done about why radio works, why top 40 radio works. And what they discovered was back in the 1950s, some DJs figured out that actually people, even though they say they want variety, they don't really actually. They want the same thing over and over again and, and they'll turn away, in fact, if you, if you mix it up too much. And that that fact became the reason why Top 40 exists. And then that just came over into the talk radio world to the point that now you hear people repeat the same messages over and over again. But when those are political messages, that has the effect of actually altering people's perceptions. Because one of the things we know is, you know, every dictator and cheerleader figures out early on that repetition has this really powerful cognitive impact. It makes you begin to see things as, as more important, as larger, as dominant. And that is essential to his approach. That's why he repeats the same expressions, the same warnings, the same sense of alarm, the same sort of encouragement to see yourself as imperiled. That is the core of the product. Folks, it pains me to have to tell you this, how disingenuous and how grotesque our government has become. You have been lied to for two years now, for two reasons and two reasons only. They wanted to attack Donald Trump, and now they want to protect Joe Biden, who by his own measure, remember when he said any president on guard while there's 220,000 deaths from COVID, doesn't deserve to be president. There are more deaths now under, under Biden. So now what does the media do? They needed a fear porn campaign. Hospitals are overflowing. People are dying everywhere with COVID. They're burning the bodies, Joe, in the emergency room. Meanwhile, doing dance videos and stuff in the hallway of these hospitals, right? Why? Not because any of it was true but because they needed to make it appear that Donald Trump didn't have his arms around and a bear hug, the situation had lost control so they can attack him. Now that Joe Biden's numbers on coronavirus are far, far worse, they have to start to dial all that back. Dial it back. Dial it back. Is there any nuance here? Because there are these contradictions or nuances in what he says. Like Bongino says the election was rigged but not stolen. Right. And he's also against vaccine mandates, but he's pretty clear that he's been vaccinated. He's a cancer survivor and it was necessary. His doctor recommended it. Yeah. So are there nuances here and do the nuances matter? Well, exactly as you say, he'll talk very often about how the the presidential election was rigged. He often repeats the word and he says, I know that liberals don't like that word rigged. It's rigged. Uh, and if you, if you press him on it, as some reporters have, he'll say, well, I don't think it was fully stolen, but then he'll he'll describe in sort of more um, generalized terms why he thinks that the intelligence community and the media interfered with the election in a way that threw the results. And, you know, you have to decide whether you think that's nuance or whether that's him talking out of two sides of his mouth and kind of, he often finds ways of sort of galloping towards a red line, let's say some kind of incitement or uh, or bullying somebody. And then he'll veer away before he gets to that line because he knows that there are things that he will do that will get him thrown off of the social media and uh, and video streaming channels that he really depends on. But do you think he believes what he's selling? And does it matter? I mean, that's that's sort of one of the core fascinating questions, right, is... Does he believe it or is it just for business? I, I thought a lot about this and I came to the view that, 
if you look at the way that he kind of changed himself, he's transformed over the last 10 years, almost physically too. He's gotten much brawnier. He kind of broadcasts in a t-shirt now instead of wearing a jacket and tie the way he did when he was a secret service agent. You know, he clearly found a, a business and that business depends on him voicing these ideas. And at a certain point, it becomes almost irresponsible as as a businessman for him not to 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 sell these things as passionately as he can. And so I kind of came to see him a little bit like a method actor who really is inhabiting every idea that he says whether or not he believes it or not. I can't pretend to be between his ears and know what he thinks. The net effect though is that he does it with such intensity and and if you watch or listen to him you hear that that his listeners they don't seem to question whether or not he believes it. Just read the comments on what they think about him. They're ready to do what he asks of them. So in the end, I don't think it matters that much if it's a grift or if it's a deep belief. What matters is the effect, the effect on our politics and on our country. So what is Bongino's goal? I mean, we've talked about how he's intertwined and inseparable from Trump. So as part of his goal with his broadcasts, getting Trump back in office and back in power? Yeah, for sure. Because as he s- says explicitly, I hope he comes back. I, I think there's there's been nothing that has been more sort of important for him personally and financially than Donald Trump's rise to the presidency. There's a lot of reasons why he would want Trump back in power uh, politically and, and every other way. But I think there's also a larger play here, which is you know, Bongino is laying the foundation for a new generation of conservative voices and the stages on which those voices will be heard. So these technological platforms like, you know, these alternative websites that will be there, whether or not Trump returns to office or not. When we come back, why Bongino's content might be his least important contribution to the far-right movement. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. 
You highlighted this moment from this fall as a little bit of a turning point for Dan Bongino because he'd threatened to pull the plug on his national radio show because the company that distributed it had a vaccine mandate. Can you explain what happened? Yeah, he had a showdown that he created with his radio network where he said, look, I I can't stand for these vaccine mandates, even though he is, as you said, personally vaccinated. Uh, He regards the mandates as as um, odious. And so he said, I can't do that. So he he went on hiatus, He kind of went on strike, in effect. And it didn't exactly go how I think he hoped, which was he'd sort of imagined this might generate a big public outcry in support of him. And but actually, other right wing broadcasters called this kind of virtue signaling, and they they said, "What is this guy doing exactly?" And and some of the local affiliates began to complain in the trade press that 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 he was forcing them to run reruns. It just didn't go very well. So eventually, he comes back on the air, and he he described it as a stalemate, and said he had set up a fund and put about a quarter of a million dollars of his own money into it in order to compensate people at the at the uh, network who had lost their jobs because they didn't uh, they wouldn't get the vaccine and just kind of went back to work at that point but you know he used it as a way of signaling he said look this is evidence of why I've been saying all along that we have to have our own our own technology we have to have our own networks our own our own platforms because otherwise we're always going to be subject to these kinds of pressures and authorities. So it became kind of proof of concept for him. The thing about all this big talk about building networks specifically for the right is that it isn't just talk. Bongino is invested in a host of apps and platforms that are designed to create a parallel online ecosystem for people who see the world the way he does. That includes a payment processor called AlignPay instead of PayPal, the video streaming service, Rumble, instead of YouTube, and Parler, also known as conservative Twitter. The point here is to create an information economy where the far right gets to make the rules. These websites, these technology platforms are all designed to be insulated from the kind of pressure that can be brought to bear on places like Facebook and Twitter. I mean, look, I think... There are a lot of people who would say that the big technology companies don't do enough to police themselves against things like hate speech or uh, the organization of violence of the kind that we saw on January 6th or things like that. But the truth is there is also uh, some degree of of governance on there. They do kick people off for violating their rules. So there is a way in which these these platforms do provide some level of guardrails And what Dan Bongino is using his money and his influence to do is to try to create alternative technology platforms that would not have those guardrails, that would not be subject to the pressure on advertisers or boycotts from people who say that that this content is dangerous and inflammatory and and shouldn't be on mainstream platforms. So the idea is basically, in the wake of January 6th, Trump gets kicked off Twitter, but if we have a Twitter of our own... He'll never get kicked off. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it, actually. And I, I think there's a there's sort of it's a double-edged sword because on the one hand, okay, that gives them a voice they never had before. But it is different than being in the main stage. It's a little bit like 
they're going to be off in their own kind of cul-de-sac. But I think it's a big mistake to assume that that means it doesn't have impact. We know now that Parler was an important venue in which people on January 6th had been discussing these ideas and so on. So we have to be alert to what happens on those alternative websites or we're going to be caught uh, by surprise. Do you still listen now that your reporting's done? Uh, I'll tune in now and then. I'll tune in now and then. Yeah. This story, I have to say, sort of perfectly bluntly, um, kind of changed my understanding of the world we inhabit post-January 6th. It was it was alarming to me in a way that no story I've done has alarmed me since 2015 when I first wrote a piece about Trump's phenomenon and the effect he was having on the far right. And listening to this show for months really persuaded me that the post-January 6th world is really the beginning of this phenomenon. It's not the end of this phenomenon. And and I think it would surprise people, frankly, how dire the language is, how, um, how much every day people are being told, as Bongino says, that Democrats and liberals want you dead. That's a quote from him. And that's not metaphorical. No, no, no. There's nothing metaphorical about it. And I think there is a way in which we, a lot of us today in politics, sort of readers and observers and, and analysts, are always sometimes like, how did this happen? How did, you know, where did school boards become the, the primary venue of American political competition and combat? When did that, like, how did that happen? Well, if you'd been listening to Bongino's show, you wouldn't have been surprised. Evan Osnos, thank you so much for the work you've done. Thanks for the conversation. I really enjoyed it. Evan Osnos is a staff writer at The New Yorker. Going into the long weekend, YouTube temporarily suspended Dan Bongino's channel. This was because he said masks were useless in the fight against COVID-19. This is a kind of first strike. After three, Dan Bongino would be kicked off the platform permanently. And that's our show. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Mary Wilson, Carmel Del Shad, and Danielle Hewitt. We get oversight each and every day from Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery. And I'm Mary Harris. You can go track me down on Twitter. Say hello and tell me what you're thinking about the show. I am at Mary's desk. I will catch you back in this feed tomorrow. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. 
It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.